The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and thanks for joining me this week. You may have noticed if you log into my uh, website, uh, www.lindasharkey.com, or my Twitter account, The Linda Sharkey, or my Facebook account, The Linda Sharkey, that I've been nominated as a, a 50s thinker, top 50s thinker. And I'm really honored to have that nomination, but I need people to vote. And so I would just ask you if you would, uh, anybody who hasn't voted yet, if you could go to Thinkers50, www.thinkers50.com, and you'll see a place where you vote for me as a top leadership thinker. Um, you just put in my name. You don't need my company name um, or my title and my email, which is Linda at lindasharkey.com. Uh, I also wanted to tell you, which I'm very excited about, I just got invited to be a presenter at uh, GE's Human Resource Conference um, on October 2nd, and I'm going to be a key speaker around coaching because I was uh, someone influential in bringing coaching into GE uh, way back when with Marshall Goldsmith, um, a colleague of mine, um, and which leads me to my next guest. Um, Bill Hawkins and I are both founding members of the Marshall Goldsmith Group, and I've just had the pleasure of being with him and working with him. Um, He's an expert on leadership development and executive coaching, and every time I'm with Bill, I always get new insights and uh, new lessons learned and new approaches, and it's, it's so exciting. What I love about Bill is that he's not just a quote-unquote consultant and coach. He's somebody who's lived in corporate America. He had a career at, the division of, uh, at a division in Johnson. Johnson. Uh, he was with Boston Scientific, um, vice president of sales and marketing, and he brings a breadth of understanding and insight into real-world situations. And I think, you know, having that working experience is just been terrific for him. He's got a who's who in of corporate America and global companies that he's done consulting with and coaching with, um, just to name a few, American Express, AT&T, Bentley, wouldn't you love a Bentley? I would, Boeing, uh, and others. And he's published uh, in a, a number of different locations. He's uh, 
a thought leader for the Drucker Foundation, which is no small feat. Um, and he's a, uh, a distinguished fellow at the Global Leadership Development Center at Alliant University, uh, where we both uh, share that uh, title. He's written a number of books, What Got You Here Won't Get You There in Sales, um, which is a takeoff of Marshall's um, renowned book. And his most recent book, Bring Out the Best in Everyone, that uh, was published by McGraw-Hill in 2013 with Marshall Goldsmith. Um, and it's a great book. If you haven't gotten it, I highly recommend that you put it on your must-read list. And Bill, uh, thanks for joining the show. I'm so glad to have you with me. Delighted to be here, Linda, and you already got my vote for Top 50 Thinkers. Well, thank you. I, I greatly, greatly appreciate that. And I know Marshall's going to be number one or two on the list, as he always is, which is so humbling to be even thought about in, um, in, in that area. So I really appreciate your vote. So tell me, your book, Bring Out the Best in Every Employee, Bill, it, you said it, was, it, it won an award from McGraw-Hill, and I'm just, I just forgot what that award was, but I'm sure you they remember. It a, what was it? <laughs> they called it a Baker's Dozen Best Summer Read, so uh, it's uh, been doing well. And what it basically was is, especially after the uh, the big recession hit everyone, uh, everybody felt like they were being asked to do more with less. So what we ended up doing was interviewing uh, over 6,000 people just to find out uh, what are they looking for, uh, how, how do leaders get more with less in the organization, um, and, and what are people looking for in the organization to feel like they can contribute more. So we put it all together in a book, and I had a lot of fun doing it. So what was, Bill, what were the, the a couple of big uh, ahas from you in, in doing that research? What did, what did you find? And I'm assuming you, you interviewed um, uh, people from all over the world. Is that true? Or? Absolutely, yeah. We interviewed people all over the world. We interviewed everything from CEOs to CFOs to vice presidents to individual contributors. And uh, basically, wow. the big aha when we said to uh, people, if you could tell your boss one thing that um, you think might make a difference that they don't know now, what would it be? And, you know, interestingly enough, the number one thing was thank you. That surprised the tar out of us. Thank you for what you do for me, for the difficulties that we've had through the last several years. And the second piece we found out was I'd sure appreciate more feedback, okay, in terms of how I'm doing and wow. how my performance stacks up against other people. Kind of the two main things was, one, thank you for what you do do, and secondly, give me more insight into how I do. I love those two, Bill. Uh, you know, that just goes <laughs> right into... Marshall's point about, you know, thanking people for feedback and insight, etc. And, and so what they're saying is, you know, recognize that I did a lot of work and thank me for that, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's so easy to do. And why don't we do it more? I mean, that's sort of the surprising thing here. Why do you think people don't thank other people more? Well, uh, statistically, and I'm big into my numbers, there's about a 15% of the people out there actually have a problem doing that. And uh, they think that, well, if you actually did something that was truly outstanding, of course I'd recognize you for it. But what do you want me to do, run around and pat you on the back for doing your job? 
which, by the way, you're pretty well paid for. If I do that, it will seem phony and insincere. And so you've kind of got that group of people who have to move beyond that. It's an effective thing for you to do, and it's not going to seem phony to the other people. There's another group of about 20 or 25 percent of the people that they know they should do it, but they just don't carve out the time to do it. You know, I'm too busy. There's too much on the schedule. We had, I thought I had the right time to do it, but that time passed. So it's almost like there's a zillion reasons why people don't do it, but the point of the matter is you have to carve out time to do it. It's so essential. And, you know, your point about appreciating more feedback, uh, you've probably done this too, Bill. You know, I've been in corporate America a long time, and I used to handle the employee engagement surveys for all of HP and uh, for the major divisions at GE and Payne Weber, number of other key companies. And every time that question, do you get enough feedback from your boss, uh, on on uh, how you're doing and some suggestions for improvement, the answer is always, always, no, I don't. And this is like 30 years this stuff has been going on. So, That's exactly you know, right. obviously we're, we, we obviously are not getting the feedback thing right. And I was just talking to somebody today about performance management. Uh, and, and, you know, people think if you put a performance management system in, okay, well, at least they'll get feedback once a year, and it's obviously not sufficient. So what do you tell people about feedback, Bill? Uh, what I basically tell them is that you need to – some people, you which one size doesn't fit all. Anybody who has more than one child realizes that treating your child, your, all your children fairly doesn't mean treating them equally. Some, and what that means is that some people on your team need more feedback than other people on your team. So the only way to tell if they're getting enough is you kind of ask them. And so the people who I'm coaching, I routinely have them go out about once a month okay, and talk to their people. And say, hey, are you getting enough feedback? Do you know where we're going as an organization? Do you know how you and your team fit into it? Huh? Is there anybody on your team that has gone above and beyond the, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> above and beyond? But we've been so darn busy we haven't noticed it. Right? So you're asking your people, okay, is there anybody on your people's teams that need recognition that we can give it? And do you feel like you're in the loop in terms of what's going on in this organization? And what we found, back to your comment about engagement, Linda, is that if people feel like they're in the loop in terms of what's going on in the organization and they feel like they're getting recognition and feedback on their performance, those are probably two of the highest indicators for am I engaged or not. Yeah, and that is so true. And that's where if they're not engaged, as we both know from our friend Beverly Kay, they don't give you the, their discretionary effort at all. So that's that's a very important, important point. So this sounds like, a, you know, this is a fascinating book, Bill. Um, were there any other sort of critical surprises that you uh, came across in all these interviews? Well, one would maybe be the trends that we're saying, how are things different now than maybe they might have been uh, even a few years ago? And certainly one would be technology, okay? And leaders today, um, it's not that they need to, like, be a programmer, but they need to understand how is technology impacting their business. They need to learn to ask the right questions. Um, You know, for instance, who would have guessed a few years ago the taxi companies would be under siege from the likes of, you know, Uber and Lyft? 
Uh, Ford Motor Company, who I've, I've been done some work with over the years, now spends 20% of their advertising budget, up from zero a few years ago, on marketing targeted at people on their cell phone or computer. And so what we'll say is, what does that mean to your business? Uh, just in the Wall Street Journal this last Tuesday was an article titled, Startups Buy to Build an Uber for Healthcare. Well, so if you're in healthcare, is that a threat? Or is that an opportunity? Okay. So it's, I would say the, the uh, technology and how it's impacting people is definitely a theme. The second one that came up was the impact of millennials. Um, they've been described mm-hmm. as a disruptive change. And in the next five years, they're going to represent half the workforce. And by 2025, they're going to be 75% of the workforce. The organizations and leaders in those organizations who manage the millennials and use their talents effectively we think are going to have a competitive advantage. Uh, the millennials, they're willing to work hard during non-traditional hours in various settings. So what I'm seeing is some organizations giving them the opportunity to work outside their traditional office setting. The millennials blur the line between work life and personal life. In fact, one piece of research showed that 89% of them check their email daily during vacations. But at the same time, they want control over their life. Okay? So... Maybe flex hours are going to be more important to them than other people on the team. One of the executives I've worked with said, don't think of them as employees or even free agents, which we heard a few years ago, but as business allies. Allies work together for a common purpose. They support each other. Don't always agree on everything, but each provides for the other something that's valuable and difficult to get somewhere else. So if there's two things that that kind of came out of all of our research, it would be the impact of millennials and how technology is impacting organizations. Yeah, and you know that's so, the thing that really shocks me about that. You should listen to uh, last week's show. I had uh, Gerald Kleinert on, who uh, wrote the book uh, Twenty Billion at, in in Twenty. Um, and it's all about he's a millennial himself, and he was he was actually recognized at seventeen as one of the quintessential entrepreneurs um, in 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 the u s and it's just fascinating the stuff he has to say and what he has to say in his book about uh, millennials that we all need to know. And what surprises me about all of this, Bill, and probably surprises you too, is some of our old processes and approaches in in the workplace are all rooted in the 20th century and they don't allow for this blurring of lines and they don't allow for people to use technology the way they do every day. And they put in policies and procedures that really block uh, the growth of people that the new people that are entering the workplace. Have you seen that? Absolutely. And what baby boomers and even Generation Xers to a degree took for granted is just totally unacceptable for millennials. For instance, uh, a lot of baby boomers in your audience are going to be able to relate with going into a new job at some point in their career, and somebody basically says, well, here's your desk. There's a lot of work to get done. Go to it. And you get basically zero orientation. Go figure it out. And that was normal. That was accepted. That is totally. I can identify with that. I'm sure you can <laughs> <course> too. <laughs> yeah. So there's just yeah, things that that the the other generation do, doesn't even hit their radar screen as being a problem that creates big problems for the millennials. They want clarity in terms of what they're doing. They're expecting training, development, orientation, set me up for success. 
And the organizations that do that have got all of the talents and, and special attributes this group brings. But as we keep hearing, yeah. uh, if the millennials don't get that, they're probably more willing to change jobs than any uh, uh, generation we've had in, in history. In fact, yeah, I think the statistics are that the average true. millennial expects to have something like six or seven different jobs throughout their career. There's not that expectation that I'm going to come here and possibly, you know, spend 10 or 20 years here, as some generations in the past yeah, are thinking. I- I, I've I've heard the number as as much as thirty five different jobs within their career. Oh my God! Really? University, <laughs> University of Michigan. Now, I in, in truth, I'm not quite sure what makes up those thirty five. Means they could maybe they move around into different jobs within the same company, etc. So I'm I'm not quite clear on that. Bill, we're thirty seconds uh, toward to our first break, but this is a fascinating discussion. I'm uh, absolutely loving this. And when we get back from break, I want to talk to you about how did you get into this business in the first place? And and I want to talk a little bit about how coaching relates to this sort of millennial that's that's coming, is going to be a good 75% of the workforce in the next five years. So stay with us. Uh, we're, we're speaking to Bill Hawkins, a renowned uh, executive development, leadership development uh, individual, a member of the Marshall Goldsmith Group. Um, leading coach, uh, world-renowned in terms of developing leaders. So stay with us. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the leadership connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection. And with me is Bill Hawkins, a leading expert in executive and leadership development, uh, coaches in some of the most significant companies in the world, um, member of and uh, founding member of the Marshall Goldsmith Group. And we were having a great discussion on his latest book. Um, and you should get a copy of it. But also, we were talking about, you know, what he learned from these 6,000 interviews that he did about millennials, which was a fascinating uh, discussion. So, Bill, tell me, how did you get into this consulting business? What, what, what was the passion behind what drove you into this business? Well, interestingly enough, this Marshall Goldsmith, who you brought up several times now, I have known for years. And as you know, he's a rock star in executive coaching. And he recruited me into this business 20 years ago. And what he told me at the time is he knew I had the platform skills to do the workshops. But what he would like was that practical experience that I brought to coaching. Because as vice president of sales and marketing for a large company, I had responsibility for several hundred people. I had hired people, fired people, promoted people, managed large budgets. I'd been involved in several acquisitions. And it gave me kind of a practical approach to a lot of real-life situations that, that you see in coaching. And um, so uh, I, I agreed with him and joined him. And probably oh, that's great. Uh, about 40% of my time coaching and about 60% of the time doing uh, workshops and speeches and stuff relating to all of the research and experience we got with coaching. Yeah. Well, you know, Marshall is, um, you know, I had the fortune, good fortune of meeting him, wow, almost um, 15 years ago myself and brought him into GE to help uh, develop a whole coaching methodology and process for GE because, we got that feedback in our employee engagement surveys that our leaders didn't know how to coach and didn't know how to give feedback. And it was a huge, huge process for um, that company. It, it just really helped leaders understand that it wasn't just giving feedback. It was really helping people um, move forward or feed forward, giving others suggestions of how they could be better at what they do, which I think is brilliant, <laughs> really brilliant. So, and what you did how many people? was you took the, uh, the concept that we've been using, the Marshall Goldsmith philosophy for coaching, but that had always been done by external coaches. And I think what you did when you were GE was show that that same platform, that same format worked just as effectively with internal coaches. And if I said, remember, you wrote an article that- on it, didn't you? I, I did. I wrote an article in one of the books that uh, that that you have an article in too. And and actually, you know, I don't want to minimize the importance of external coaches because uh, you and I are both them, and you can see the value of it. But if well trained uh, internal people can well trained, well monitored, well selected internal people can do a very good job in building a coaching culture in an organization because obviously, as you know, if you have five thousand vice presidents, you know, the company just can't possibly afford to have an outside coach, you know, for everyone. So it was a a great, 
a great second step. So, Bill, tell me, how many people have you coached, and what were some what are some of the biggest observations that you have about this behavioral coaching approach that we we use? Wow, uh, I just had to total it up uh, about six months ago, and I've uh, coached over a hundred people over the years. So, uh, a lot. <laughs> um, Boy, some of the observations. I would say that one of the observations I have is that uh, one of the questions I get is, as you well know, part of the process that you and I use is that we'll go out and have people that who are going to be coached identify their key stakeholders, people more senior than them, their team members, their peers, their direct reports, a lot of cases people outside their organization, and we go interview them and give them a summary report of what we found out, how they showing up at work. And uh, got the question, you say, what, what do you learn? Sometimes people will say to me, so when you go through all this, do, do people normally have a pretty good idea of, of where they stand at work? In other words, all this stuff you prepare for them is no big deal. They say, hey, thanks for doing it, but I knew that. Or are there some big surprises there? So what I did is I actually went back about eight months ago, and I, I kind of keep records on everybody I've ever coached. And, of course, one of the things that I'll do is after I prepare this summary report, uh, is then I'll say, what was the reaction of the people? Were they surprised? Were they not surprised? And what I basically found out is that about 20% of people are basically not surprised. Okay? Is they'll say, you know, all the things that you're telling me are my strengths. I, I, I knew that. The things you're telling me I could do better. Hey, in all honesty, I knew that too. About 75% of the people, there's some surprises in there. So, uh, and then of course there's 5% who the whole thing looks like a surprise. <laughs> So what yeah, poor deer in the headlights. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, there's just some people who are fairly clueless in terms of how they're showing up at work. Um, but that's maybe only one out of 20 or one out of 25. Uh, what I tell people is, you know, this is the only research involving about 100 people, and they're certainly not randomly selected. The people who I work with typically be our high achievers. But with with that in mind, what this tells me is that if you've got a team of, say, 10 people, is that 20% of them, okay, uh, or maybe a couple of your people, are going to have very good insight into who they are, uh, what their relationship is with peers, how they're progressing in their career. They're just really self-aware. About three out of four of them, you can add a lot of value by letting them know how they are showing up because there are some surprises there. And one of the, the surprises for me is that it's not always the weaknesses. Sometimes it's the strengths, and it's their unique combination of strengths that they don't understand or appreciate. I know one of the things Peter Drucker, who's kind of one of my heroes, used to say, is that things that come easily for us we don't value. Okay? So we think that's no big deal. But actually, others do. So in our coaching practice, a lot of times it's not just pointing out to people what do you need to do differently, do better to be more effective, but sometimes understanding what is that unique combination of strengths that you bring to the job that you may take for granted, but others see as adding real value. Um, that would be one of the, the key things that I see. The second, the big surprise for people is that as you progress in your career, Strengths can become weaknesses, things that actually kind of got you identified 
set you aside from the rest of the fray early in your career. Um, if you keep doing that, that can get in your way later in your career. Uh, you know, things like uh, winning too much, you know, being a winner, overcoming obstacles, uh, that can get you recognition early in your career. Later in your career, it can get in the way of collaborating. So sometimes that's a surprise and, for know, people that they're finding out something that has actually been a strength for them through much of their career is starting to create problems for them. Does that make sense? And, you know, it's so interesting that that's, you know, of course, that's that's what got you here won't get you there. And and I see that time and time again as leaders get to the top of the house, they can't make that switch. Or for some of them, it's very hard to make that switch of being central to uh, the work that they do as opposed to helping others be central to the work that that's being done and them backing off and coaching others. And it's a very, it sounds easy, but it's very, very hard for people to do. And to kind of build on that, Linda, there's kind of unique challenges at each stage in your career. And what an awful lot of people think is that, you know, I've just gotten this big promotion. And if I just keep doing what I've been doing in the past that's made me successful, yeah, obviously I've got to learn one or two new things. But if I basically just keep doing what I've been doing in the past, that's going to make me successful. And what research basically shows is that's not necessarily true, especially when you get promoted to executive ranks like vice president and above. Yes. Uh, there's some kind yeah. of unique skills there. Uh, for instance, staying strategic. And early in your career, much of what you're doing is really more tactical. It's the day-to-day responding to this, uh, uh, you know, making, adapting to changes and that type of thing. At the highest levels, the challenge is for people to stay strategic. And what I tell them is that the nicer you are, the more comfortable people feel with you, where they, they, they just feel a real comfort level knocking on your door and say, hey, Linda, if you got a minute, they're going to drag you down into their day-to-day tactical problems, and you're now getting paid for staying up there at the strategic level, looking out over the horizon, asking the what-if questions, and, and not getting bogged down. Uh, and again, that's something that a lot of times people hadn't necessarily thought in that. Another is dealing with ambiguity, is that invariably, as you well know, uh, executives will always say, I don't have enough information. (laughs) By the time decisions make it to the top, there is going to be not enough information. The information you do have is conflicting, and there's likely going to be warring camps set up on both sides of this decision, that regardless of where you, what decision you make, it's going to be controversial. And a lot of times people are basically unprepared for that's the new world that they're going to, the new world, the new environment they're going to be in. So in terms and of you know, progressing Bill, through I, your I, career, I, I, I want to add challenge. to that for just a second. I want to add to that yeah. because what we found, you know, I, I, McGraw-Hill published uh, my latest book, Winning with Transglobal Leadership. And what we found in that research, because this is such an important point, whether you're an American uh, leader or you're a, a leader going global f- off your offshore, that if you can't deal with ambiguity, you are going to struggle in this next, in the next millennium, so to speak, because you just simply cannot possibly have all the data and information that you're, you're going to feel like you need or that you had before. So it's a very important point. I, I love that. I just wanted to underscore it. 
Yeah. And, and so, usually one of those things people are unprepared for when they find themselves in a new role. Yeah. And how do you how do you help them uh, deal with ambiguity? How do you help them sort of let go of the details and being able to move forward and make decisions more on the facts at hand? Well, one of the things that I, I have people practice doing is uh, carving out some time, say, initially every week. Say 15 minutes. Start out with something doable, like 15 minutes. Put it on your calendar. Friday afternoon, uh, close the door. Don't accept phone calls. And what you do is you take a topic at work. Okay. For instance, it might be people, it might be technology, it might be the latest merger, it might be our advertising program. Whatever it is, take that topic and just let your mind wander around it. Look out over the horizon. What questions are there? What have you not thought about before? And get in the habit of at least once a week doing that. And you might say at the highest level, I'm sure people do that all the time, but as you and I know, with the best of intentions, they don't just like they don't give people positive recognition, <laughs> even though they know that they yep. should. So what I do is I try and get people to discipline them. And some people like it so much, they, they certainly expand beyond the 15 minutes. But I try and give people baby steps. Carve out time in your schedule to think strategically, deal with ambiguity, and get practice doing this in a low-risk environment so that you're better prepared for it when the stuff hits the fan. You know, Bill, this is that's such a great exercise. And the reason why I love that is because we also have found out from neuroscience that in, in studying, you know, the brain, that people can't think clearly unless they take time to step back and meditate, uh, think through things, and that actually people need that downtime uh, several times during the work day in order to be as creative and innovative uh, and to bring back that creativity and innovation in them. And I, I don't know about your experience, but, you know, my experience in the corporate world is, boy, you went from one pounding meeting to another, to another, to another, and we just haven't built in that kind of time in the workplace. Have you experienced that too? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, unless you manage it, there's a lot of administrative assistants who will actually load the day with meeting after meeting after meeting to where you exactly feel like it's hard to come up for air. And like you say, how can you be creative? How can you deal with ambiguity? How can you deal with all these things when it's one meeting after another? Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I do think that to your point of your earlier book, you know, the recession really played a toll on people because... You know, people were working long and hard hours, and they had to because the workforce was sh- shrinking. And um, and let's be honest, people were kind of scared uh, so that they did what they had to do. So, Bill, I, I just want to start this. We're going to be coming up on a break in a, in a few minutes. But what were some of your – what was your, your biggest nightmare in coaching? Oh, it has to be when I find out that the person doesn't really want to change that what they want is they want me to come in as the outside professional, interview all the stakeholders, establish a relationship with senior management, and then in the end, what the coachee really wants me to do 
is to explain to senior management that they don't really have a problem. The problem is with other people in the organization and the organization itself. You know, and it's that whole that phony piece. I, I don't have a problem. Uh, what I want you to do is to point out that the organization has problems. That is a gosh darn nightmare for me to get people to accept the fact that uh, uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not there to change the organization. I'm there to work with you. Yeah, and you know I've I've had that problem as well. And um, I remember just so quickly before we go to break a, a story that, and this is a true story. Uh, Marshall was coaching some people, you know, high level people for us at uh, GE, and this one person simply did was exactly where you said your biggest nightmare was. And Marshall turned around and came back to us and said, you're wasting your money. This person doesn't want to change, doesn't believe they have to change and believes it's all you guys. Uh, And he said, you know, I think that this is not going anywhere. And I'll tell you something that's scary to do. Um, It takes a lot of guts to do. It's scary to do. uh, But he gained a lot of purchase with GE because he did that. And, you know, I'm sure you also think about this of, you know, you've got somebody's career on the line. You go back to the company and say, look, this person is not going to change. So you're wasting your time. You know, is the company wasting their time on this individual? So stay with us. We're at break. We'll be back in a few minutes and we're going to explore that question even further because coaching is a real developmental opportunity. And if you turn your back on it, you're really learning, losing an opportunity for great growth. So we're talking to Bill Hawkins, expert coach, and we're going to continue to talk about what do you do when somebody doesn't see it as themselves. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Okay, welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead, the Leadership Connection. And with me today is Bill Hawkins. Um, just having a great discussion about the impact of coaching, uh, what it can do for people, and uh, the research and the data that, that he's collected. We were talking about his worst nightmare, which, in fact, has been my worst nightmare. And I, I recently had this circumstance, actually, and it was quite um, quite personally difficult for me uh, because I couldn't get the person to focus in on their own behavior. And every time we talked about their behavior, they did deflect back to, well, the organization won't do, my boss won't let me. And, you know, at some point, Bill, it's your own credibility on the line. So how do you deal with that? What do you do? Well, one of the things I've learned to do is try and head it off at the pass by doing a better job than, for instance, I did years ago of uh, interviewing the coachee up front before we begin the coaching assignment and kind of ask those tough questions and really try and determine, is this person ready to try some new things, do some new things, be open to some new ideas, and, uh, you know, really try and assess, is this going to be a good candidate for coaching? Whereas, you know, when you first begin coaching, any business is good business. <laughs> but basically, you learn later on that's not necessarily true at all. So one is I try and head it off at the past by trying to identify who are the people who are going to be the uh, best uh, potential candidates to be good coaches. Secondly, sometimes you just got to sell the people on it, on what is the need for change. And usually it's the pace of change in their organization. If I can get people talking about the pace of change in their organization, they will normally, you know, admit that it it seems relentless. In fact, there's people walking around saying, when is this craziness going to stop so we can get back to normal? And, of course, as we know, there's not going to be a back to normal. So you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. From a leadership point of view, I remind executives that during times of change, Trust, unless you manage it, will naturally deteriorate. And that's usually kind of an aha for them. So it's like if you don't do anything different yourself during these times of high change, trust with your team is going to naturally deteriorate. So one of the things I talk to people about is there's six very specific components that make up trust. So let's talk about what some of those are. And not that you've made a mistake in the past, but moving toward the future, are there some of these you need to pay more attention to? Are there some of these you need to manage more effectively to manage the new era in your organization? So, for instance, one of them, well, the obvious one is integrity, right? It's the big stuff. You've got to be honest. You've got to be truthful and have honest communications and fair treatment. But then I remind executives, it's also the little stuff. 
When your organization is going through just tons of change, you've, people are taking a look at you and saying, are you keeping your promises large and small? Do people feel safe with you as these decisions are being made? So it's the kind of these things that you need to stop and think about. Um, another one's composure. Okay? You're captain of the ship. And when the storm is raging, when you're shorthanded, resources are tight, there's relentless pressure from above to make your numbers, people look to the leader. And basically what they're saying is the leader instill confidence or fear. Does the leader run around like their hair is on fire or calmly lay out a plan? And so as a result of those interviews that we do, sometimes I can say to people, there are times when you're more likely to run around like your hair's on fire than to calmly lay out a plan. There are times where you're treating your uh, peers and team members like competitors rather than team members, right? And can you see how that might not have been a problem in the past, but it's going to create problems moving toward the future? Those are some of the ways. Uh, you know, Bill, I, it's, it, it's really interesting because I, I, I have somebody that I'm uh, coaching right now and uh, did a phenomenal job of turning the corner really got huge accolades, got promoted, et cetera, uh, because of this, and then is in a very, very stressful uh, circumstance, and the company's in a very stressful circumstance. And it's so interesting because all that trust and goodwill went out the door over um, a nine-month period of time for all the reasons that you're talking about. And, you know, in this case, he really took the feedback to heart and he went back and, you know, apologized. Uh, and this is a she, actually. She went back and apologized to her team and um, really um, thanked them profusely for, for helping her see what she was doing. And, you know, that's that takes a very big person to do that. So I loved that, that, that point that you made about, you know, the composure, um, you know, being keeping your promises large and small and the integrity. And I did interrupt you when you were on your first three, but what are the second three that uh, erode trust? Well, it's things like show, and you got to get them in balance. But one would be like courage. It's like, you know, you can have too much courage, and then, then you're basically just complaining about everything. But on the other hand, I remind executives that you've got to display the appropriate amount of courage on the job. And sometimes what that shows up as is you've got to support your organization to the customer and to your people as these decisions are being made, right? You're part of the management team. Have the courage to stand up and support your company, your organization, your leadership team. On the other hand, there are times where you need to support your people to the organization. And that takes some courage sometimes, especially during times of change, to kind of stand up and say, uh, uh, you know, something like, hey, I know a lot of time and effort and thought went into this. A lot of planning. I get it. I understand it. Um, let me tell you how it's playing out in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have a suggestion on how we can improve it. What I talk to leaders about is you need to display not too much. If you display too much, you're paying the rump. If you display too little, you're a weenie, right? You need to have that appropriate mix of showing the courage to support down and challenge up and being relevant in the in the management system. So, again, we kind of go through, uh, let us care for people, right? Is that people yeah, are really paying that's a key attention one. to, do you listen to me? 
you have my back? That's what your people want to know. People are willing to walk through fire for their boss if they feel like their boss has their back okay, when things matter, when the chips are down. Do you show your people that you care about them, both personally, both professionally? And, uh, you know, what you get back on that is what you're talking about, Lou, it's the commitment. That's how you get commitment from your people, is displaying That's to them absolutely right. committed to them and their success. That's and too many times when um, you're trying to get more done with less, there aren't enough hours in the day to get your job done, leaders don't maliciously do any of these things. But they inadvertently, yeah, just kind of one nail in the coffin at a time, is don't show their people. They, in their heart of hearts, they may care about their people, but people can't see into your heart. <laughs> You got to show it. That's exactly right. right. You got to show. You got to show it. There. Yeah, and and, and you got to be heart. there. You got to communicate with them. Abs- you know, don't don't you see that? Com- think that communication. You know, that ongoing regular communication with folks is absolutely essential. Yeah, absolutely. And people who are some people are just naturally good at what we used to call managing by uh, walking around. Um, I'm kind of a high-energy person myself, so that was very easy for me to do. I couldn't sit at my desk for an hour. I had to get up and go walk around, and while I was walking around, I would talk to people. It came naturally for me. But there's a lot of people out there who they can sit down and tackle a problem and not leave their desk for hours at a time. So uh, one of the executives that I worked with, I said, schedule a meeting with your people, you know, every whatever makes sense, every four days, once a week where you just sit down and talk to them about their issues, their problems, their resources, the stuff that their questions, where you make sure that at least a week doesn't go by, that you don't actively communicate with your people. Some people need to actually schedule it. Yeah, and I think if you particularly, if you're, uh, you're an extrovert, obviously, because you're in sales and marketing, and most sales marketing people are extroverts. Um, yes. But if you're more introverted, uh, you know, you really do have to schedule that um, so that people get to know you and who you're all about and you get to know them. It's a very important part of uh, leadership trust, uh, I think. So those are those are great um, six components that make up trust. So, Bill, tell me, uh, you know, part of your practice, as you said, was also around, you know, leadership development, 60, 40% coaching, but 60% about leadership development. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. And what are, what are some of the things that you do uh, around that? What are some of the cool kind of uh, approaches you use to help leaders make those transitions? From one job to Probably the, next. the two most popular programs that I do, uh, one is a takeoff of Marshall Goldsmith's What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it's kind of that I do it from the point of view of, one, uh, the organization. How is the organization itself changing? Okay? In terms of things that we as an organization did maybe years ago, how do we need to make those changes? And then secondly... You as a leader, what changes do you need to make in the new world out there? And I use those 20 habits that Marshall used in his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, uh, that are potential issues that could get in your way. And in that particular program, I try and have people identify one thing. Every person in the audience identifies one thing that they're going to do differently to manage the business 
moving forward, kind of understanding of what may have got us here, may not get me where I need to go in the future. So that's kind of one that's, that's really fun to do. The second one is an outgrowth of the research we did for the book, Bring Out the Best in Every Employee. And as we interviewed people, we found out that there's five very predictable situations where coaching can make a difference. And so I've actually put together a program for sometimes what you want to do is you want to coach people for performance improvement. And other times you want to coach them for career development. And sometimes you want to orient them to a new assignment or an assignment that's changing. So what we do is identify five critical times where if you're aware of coaching and what coaching looks like in the situation, it can make a difference in terms of your performance on the job and the productivity of your team. So that'd be a couple that I've had a lot of fun with. Yeah, I, I love that. And uh, I just want to ask you a, a quick question. We're, we're uh, um, coming up to the end of the show, but I, I want to ask you a quick question. Of I, I'm a, Well, if I'm going to make a statement first, and I'm going to ask you your perspective on this. Um, we just have about a, a minute to go. But um, what... How do you see coaching? My perspective is is that coaching needs to be used more frequently from a performance excellence point of view than performance management systems. And we spend so much time perfecting these performance management systems that we lose sight of the fact that the purpose of them is to help people get better, which is the natural uh, outgrowth of good coaching. So what do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if if people actually had ongoing discussions with their boss and their peers and other people in the organization about what are you doing well, what can you do differently, how can we more effectively work together, if there was ongoing, in your words, Linda, communication and coaching going on, there would be no need for what we call the year-end performance review and all that. What the those do, though, is they force those of us who don't carve out the time to make that happen to at least sit down and do it once a year. Or a lot of organizations I'm working with now are moving toward more than once a year. And where they're they're asking people to sit down at least quarterly and talk about some of these issues. And it makes a difference. Yeah. It does make a difference, and they should be doing it. It's part of a leader's job in my in my book. Well, Bill, thank you so much for being with us uh, today. I really appreciate the discussion. It was, uh, I get, I'm getting some feedback from uh, <laughs> a dog that's outside my studio, unfortunately. Um, but thank you, <laughs> it never fails. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate your vote on the 50, uh, Thinkers 50. And uh, I just want to remind everybody, go to www.thinkers50 and um, vote for me, Linda Sharkey. My email is linda at lindasharkey.com. I would greatly appreciate it. I also want to mention that I'm going to be a keynote speaker at FEMSA, a large organization in uh, Latin uh, South America. And I'm really looking forward to working with the HR team there and helping them move from transforming where they are today to where they need to be um, in some of this new world. And I'll be talking about the 12 tenets of the new world of work, um, some of which you talked about and Bill talked about on this show. So I'm very excited to have Bill Hawkins with us on uh, today. And our next show coming up is Corey Kogan. 
And Corey is with Franklin Covey and has written a great book, The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity. Uh, Corey, Adam Merrill, and uh, Lena Rini uh, are the authors of the book, and it's just it's a great, great read. So stay with me next week, August 27th, for um, a discussion with Corey Kogan. And again, thanks, Bill Hawkins, for a great show. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.